It's that time of year again when I get to tell you about the Banner of Truth. The objective of the Banner of Truth is the promotion, advancement, and dissemination of better knowledge and understanding of the history and the doctrines of the true biblical Christian faith. We seek to inform, encourage, strengthen, and equip ordinary Christians and have a particular concern for ministers and pastors and those training for the ministry. We believe in biblical Christianity, and if we have to be labeled, we would be thought of as a reformed, Calvinistic, conservative, evangelical publisher. We seek to focus in our activities on the major and fundamental truths of biblical Christianity rather than on those truths which may be regarded as secondary, although not unimportant, such as church polity. We trace our theological heritage from the apostles through the early church to the Reformation to the Puritans such as John Owen, Richard Sibbs, and Thomas Brooks, and the 18th century heritage of George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards, and then on to the likes of Spurgeon, Ryle, Alexander, and Hodge in the 19th century, and Warfield, Murray, Hendrickson, and Lloyd-Jones of the 20th century. We publish books that were written from the time of the Reformation right through modern day. And through the whole month of September, you can use the code SHEPHERDSCROOK at checkout and get 10% off. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor. Come alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. Hope you're doing well today. It's Tuesday. It's not Monday. And the reason for that is that yesterday I had a splitting headache. I don't know why it is, but about once a month, I get a pretty brutal headache, and it just takes me out. And so I was down for the count yesterday, but I'm feeling great today, and I hope you're doing well. Let's go ahead and pray. Today, I want to tell you about why I am a Baptist and not Presbyterian. It has to do with covenant theology and some other factors that play into that, but I want to explain that to you, and then hopefully have some conversation about it, some interaction back and forth, and I'm sure I'll have a few Presbyterians bring some correction to my faulty covenant theology. So let's go ahead and get started. Father, we just thank you and praise you that we can have these conversations, and I pray that this would be helpful for pastors that are out there just thinking through covenant theology and how to understand uh, covenant and your relationship to your people and who are the people of God. These are big questions that we try to answer, and some people, good, godly men, answer these questions in different ways. And so I thank you for my Presbyterian brothers and sisters, and specifically my pastor buddies that have been helpful to me, and Mason and uh, some others that have really helped me and challenged me think through this. And I'm just thankful for the fact that iron really does sharpen iron, and I pray that this would be in that same line, sharpening and helping as guys are thinking through these things. And I trust you're going to help. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, I hope you guys are well. Let me just tell you my background a little bit and then tell you why I have rejected chapter 7 of the London Baptist Confession in favor of chapter 7 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. But I still hold to the London Baptist Confession. <laughs> and so I think the uh, the chapters on baptism, the Lord's Supper, I more side with the London Baptist Confession, also in church polity. And so there's a differences in the confessions, not major differences, but clearly significant enough for people to have their detractors and one accept one confession and not the other, uh, but both are obviously great confessions. But let's go ahead and back up. I, I started my life in a church that was kind of a Baptocostal church, so it was a default Credo Baptist church, and grew up in the environment, never questioned it, went to a Pentecostal college, and all Pentecostals and, and non-denominational folks pretty much are Credo Baptist, and that was just the environment I'd been around my entire life, and we went to plant a church. I hadn't had any idea what covenant theology was, didn't know how to answer the question, who are the people of God, 
just went in line with everything that I had learned about baptism. Baptism is for those who have been born again, not for their children. That, that was something that was totally weird to me. Didn't understand why people did that. Didn't understand covenant theology at all or the apologetic of Presbyterian brothers that went back to Genesis 12 and 17 and said, you know, Abraham's family. It wasn't just Abraham. He expressed faith in the whole household and the, the arguments that are extrapolated from that in the New Testament. Didn't understand any of that, of why people would do that. And went in ministry, started in ministry, and then for the first six or seven years, just didn't have answers for, you know, baptism or covenant theology. I just didn't know. I mean, I just wasn't aware of that. And my formal education was in Pentecostal holiness tradition, and I just didn't get, even in my systematic theology, a robust understanding of the covenants. And so basically these questions were new for me when I was several years into ministry. And so I've just been working through this. And uh, about six or seven years ago, or however long it was, I can't really remember now at this point how long ago it was, but I read Pascal Denault's book, The Distinctiveness of Baptist Covenant Theology. And that took me down a little bit of a rabbit hole. I'd already read Calvin and had already, through some of the things on baptism, read some books on Pato Communion, actually, and which is a work on the objectivity of the covenant, and really was just trying to grapple with baptism, like so many of you have, and so many of you worked through this, I know. So I was listening to sermons and podcasts and just, you know, different things, different resources that I could get my hands on, and really came down to a question that I heard somebody say in a sermon one time, which was, who are the people of God? And fundamentally, both Baptists and Presbyterians will answer that question differently, who are the people of God? And when you answer the question, who are the people of God, then that is going to define who then is going to receive the covenant sign of baptism into the visible people of God. So that baptism being the front door into, into the church, who is going to receive that sign, that covenant sign that you are the people of God. But as I began working through that and wrestling through that, this about a year and a half ago, we started doing a sermon series on Romans, and we preached through Romans, and then I bumped into Romans chapter 11. And Romans chapter 11, I'd heard Toby Sumter say years ago that Romans chapter 11 has turned many people into Presbyterian. It didn't turn me into Presbyterian, but... It did send me down the path of rejecting Baptist covenant theology and embracing more of a classic covenant theology without the implications that come from my Presbyterian brothers about infant baptism. So you might say, well, boy, that's inconsistent. Well, that's all right. Sometimes you can be consistent, I guess. And you can embrace one aspect of theology and not necessarily embrace all the implications from that if you don't see that in the scriptures or if you're still wrestling through that. And in some way, many of us when it comes to biblical doctrine, have to embrace a yes and yes model of theology, saying yes to this doctrine and yes to this doctrine, and the mystery that we're always invited into with biblical theology, that's why theology is so much better than philosophy, is because it re- it requires us so often to say yes and yes without knowing how that all works out, because God's ways are higher than our ways. And the classic example of this is God's sovereignty and human responsibility. And that principle that's seen in accepting both of those truths without knowing how they can all go together is applied in other areas as well. You know, there's going to be some mysteries to the doctrines that we believe and hold to because we're always invited into this mystery, which is the ways of God. They're objective, they're true, they're clear, and they're black and white, but sometimes the clearness and the objectivity of biblical doctrine is this is true and this is true and I don't know how. And that is an objective stand. I don't know how this is true, but I know this and this is true. Now, when I look at covenant theology and I look at specifically baptism, here's what I want you to consider, Pastor, and this is what I've this is where I've come to land. I believe that the new covenant, like the old covenant, is a mixed covenant. And I understand about Ezekiel and the promises that they shall all know me and the Spirit of God being upon 
all of God's people. And that's one reason I, I think in Acts chapter 2 that the Spirit of God has promised there is a fundamentally different way of being the people of God from the New Testament to the Old. And all the answers to that, I, I'm still trying to figure out. They've not all been unpacked for me yet about the experiential difference from the New Testament to the Old Testament with the Spirit of God indwelling the people of God. And that being a, a key marker about who the people of God are. However, when I read through Romans chapter 11, and when I read the warning passages in the New Testament, I recognize that the covenant is still mixed in nature. Meaning, I think that there are real and objective benefits to being a part of the people of God and being unregenerate. As anybody would, any pastor of any denomination, if you're going to be welcoming an adult into membership within your church, you're going to be looking for a credible profession of faith. Nobody is going to be welcoming an adult into the local church without some sort of testimony that they have repented of their sins and they have trusted in Christ. Repentance and faith is always a prerequisite for adults entering into the visible people of God. But here's what I recognize. There's going to be some people that we miss. There's going to be people in the visible church who have been baptized, who have this credible profession of faith, but they are false converts. They're not real converts. And there are real benefits for that false convert being within the people of God. It is a community of grace, and there's levels of common grace that they're going to experience that a non-believer or a non a non-member of the visible church is not going to experience compared to that unregenerate person within the visible church. And what I want to say is, I think that the person that is unregenerate is really a part of the visible church. I mean, that's I think everybody would agree with that. But there is real benefits to being a part of the visible church, even though they're unregenerate. Now, here's the reason I can't jump to infant baptism. You might say, well, there, that settles it, Jared. I mean, you're talking about the apostasy passages. You're talking about Romans chapter 11 and the Gentiles being grafted in, and they can be cut off from Christ. So that settles it. Why don't you just welcome infants into the church and just admit that there's already it's already a mixed covenant, and so bring believers and their children into this thing. Also, there's you know there's obviously covenantal promises from one generation to the next, and from the thousandth generation, as Doug Wilson talks about, as he quotes from the scriptures, and just read his book this last year. That's a, a book uh, to the thousandth generation. That is a book specifically for people like me, Baptists that are on the line, trying to convince them to become Presbyterians. And here's the lingering thing that is going to continue to keep me Baptist, I think, probably for as long as I live, is that there is a massive jump between admitting that the covenant is mixed and that there's going to be non-believers that are a part of the visible church that receive the benefits and the extra common grace that God gives being in that covenant community. There's a big jump from saying that there's false professions of faith in our midst and then willingly bringing people and giving them the covenant sign of being the people of God when you know for certain that there's no repentance and faith. You see, here's the problem. In John chapter 4, we're told that God is looking about the earth, seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And in passages like at the end of, at the end of Acts, and as many as received the word were baptized. You have these passages that indicate clearly that there's something that's happening in the person before they're being baptized. And like every Presbyterian, every good Pado baptist would say that there has to be some sort of credible profession before an adult is baptized. I want to say yes, absolutely, because there has to be some sort of evidence that this person is a Christian. And Presbyterian brothers have pushed back and said, hey, listen, uh, John the Baptist was saved in the womb. And they want to use that and say it's kind of like a see or a gotcha moment. But here's the deal. We don't take exceptions and make them rules. And we don't apply that to non-believers and say, hey, listen, this non-believer could be born again. They've just not repented and believed yet. We wait until there's that repentance and faith. In my mind, there's a huge difference from admitting that there is a mixed nature to the covenant, even the new covenant, and then saying that children are welcomed in when we know that there has not been any repentance and faith. We know they've not been born again yet. 
They have to be born of the Spirit. Baptism is this declaration of the work of God. It is a pointer to union with Christ. It's an identification with Christ, saying that this person is united with the work of Christ. It is public demonstration of what Christ has done. And when you put a person in into that water, what you're saying is the work of Christ was for them. They, they are included in this work of Christ. And they are now identified as being in the church. It's the public entrance into the visible church. And so for me, it is too much of a jump to say, after the admittance of a mixed covenant, to say, yes, now I can welcome people into the church that I know are not born again. That's the big issue. If you know somebody's not born again, if you know they don't have the Spirit of God yet, and there's no evidence of that, how can you willingly welcome them in? I hope you see how there's a big difference between that and saying that there's some people that have been baptized into the church who have a credible profession of faith, and we find out, you know what, that was not a credible profession. They were a false convert, and they have walked away, and they have been severed from Christ. Anyways, we'd love your feedback. That's kind of my, that's been my process over the years and how I've kind of worked through this, and would love to hear some of your responses to this. And pastors, I know you might be on the line. Reach out to me and uh, talk to me about this. It's not the end of the world when people become Presbyterians. My best friends have become Presbyterians. And for Baptists and for Presbyterians, hopefully, it's not the end of the world for you when Presbyterians become Baptists, which seems to happen a whole lot less. And some of you Presby guys out there are thinking like, oh, he's so close. (laughs) Like, at this point, there's just some big, big hurdles. And there's still some things that I don't understand. I don't know how the unbelieving children are holy in 1 Peter. There's still some things for me that I'm working out. But anyways, we stumble forward, and we trust the Holy Spirit to lead us as we continue to study God's Word, and we continue to read through the Bible, and God continues to bring more and more light, and we just keep growing. So that's where I'm at. I hope that's been encouraging and hopefully fun for you to listen to today. I hope you guys have a great rest of your week.